This is A Strategist, episode 1098. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Corey, we are bronze certified. This country is now bronze certified. And you know what? We beat the United States while doing we it. We did. Yeah, I mean, the, the United States does have a bad habit, though, of when they're out of the gold medal game absolutely giving up but i'm not gonna it's very american of them i yeah. like that it's like that american i'm not gonna money. undercut our moment any more than i just did right there we got the bronze hey that's canadian gold my friends that's bronze pretty fucking awesome canadian. carter bronze has been canadian gold long time uh, long time slogan of yours uh third is first um <laughs> used to be third to first but you've just now said you know what third is first yeah. i like that uh, in your in your latter years, uh, any any thoughts on Canada winning uh, bronze at the FIBA World Cup uh, for the sport of basketball? I was nervous when the Americans picked up the free yeah, throw on, at the end of the of the first, you know, at the end of the game, and then sunk the uh, tying point. Like it just felt to me like the Canadians were going to let this one slip away, as so often happens in Canadian sporting. But instead, the the Canadians, you know, they they rallied in the overtime and. Uh, Really made it spectacular. So very good to Canada. Uh, as you know, we are ba- basketball superpower now. And uh, I got to tell you, I've never been more into basketball. Into the B and the ball, as we say in nowhere land. One fact can take you pretty you far. I was walking the... Right yeah, yeah, that was really we could impressive. Also show it. We can also see its limits. I, I'll tell you. <laughs> right? We can also see its trailing limits. I was out for a dog walk. And I ran into a woman who was wearing a uh, Dino's Rugby uh, sweatshirt, Corey. This is okay. This is yeah. me promoting them. promoting your school. Yep. Dino's rugby, and I was like, oh. And so I start chatting with her, and I hit her with, "So who do you think's going to win the World Cup?" Because the Rugby World Cup just started, and then I was able to follow up with, "Do you think anybody can beat France? They seem to be able to score in so many different ways." She was so impressed, so impressed. She thought I was an actual rugby enthusiast. I was. It was amazing. It was amazing. Are you not? What? I'm a little bit. That's all we fucking talk about at the beginning no, of the show. No, that's AFL. Okay. Yeah, before so, we hit Can forward. we summarize? Can we summarize? You saw someone with a hoodie. And I hit her with the one that fact. That had the sport that you only, the only sport you know anything no. about, and you had a conversation with her about, about that sport. Is that AFL. your opening story? AFL sport. Like, what is this? Corey, save us. Save us from terrible. this. You guys are save terrible people. Uh, dread you know? Well... I, I can't, Zane. That's your job. Um, but I'm really excited for you to do your job because we've got a lot to talk about. Oh, my God. Do we okay, really? That's, that's the bridge. bridge? That's, that's the bridge. Yeah, no, that's not, that's so not anyways, the bridge. That was today, the bridge. Literally, that's a literally you guys should know. Yeah, go ahead. Let, let him go ahead. No, it's fuck Corey four over. Four fuck you, Corey. Go ahead, On my Carter. predictions this year. Exhausted This weekend. All. Using Get my technique of, of asking Heather which team name she likes the best. So that worked four for four. So I'm now third place third place in my pool it's unbelievable there's no so, way we're not playing that game now go ahead which which lay it laid on us laid on us you had a perfect week and you're in third and you're four person well league. i mean is that what i'm understanding yeah, I started off in sixth so i had some catching up to do <laughs> but uh you know it was, a, it was a big jump is what i'm trying to say you want to tell us do you want to quickly tell us the five teams so we can rank them based on which ones we like are we doing four that four teams that won the four. Yes, you the said Lions based won. on their names. Are we yeah, doing this? So the Lions won. Yes. My Brisbane Lions won, as one would expect. Um, the Giants won. The uh, uh, Blues won. Uh, and then Melbourne lost to uh, Melbourne lost to the Pies. Ah, oh, this is just those beautiful. Pies. 
really pies, dominant. You know what? Yeah. The pies I'm, are, I'm are, were pies. first place in the league, but they're barely hanging on. Barely hanging on. You know what? I don't have that. <laughs> so pies. whatever our strategy podcast, maximum pain. Welcome to our strategy podcast. Maximum pain to Corey Hogan. I'm just going to keep this going for yeah. as long as I can. Anytime someone tells an immigrant to do their job, they don't do their so job. Now. I was Corey. outside all weekend. I uh, went bike riding yesterday. Uh, I went down to Blairmore. Best bike Let's ride. move it on to our first segment. Carter, you're, you're annoying okay. the shit out of me, Carter. Okay. Let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, Pierre Potpourri. Guys, there are a couple of questions. I want to talk to you about Pierre Polyev. You guys did a, a deep dive on conventions on Thursday's episode. You did a deep dive on, <clears throat> I guess, using the the conservative convention, which happened this weekend for those that weren't tuning into to politics to talk about conventions broadly. Well, now that con- uh, conservative convention in Quebec City has happened. It's over. It's done with. Guest speakers, endorsements. Uh, there was musical entertainment. And of course, there was an hour plus long speech by the leader, Pierre Polyev himself in the round. Corey, I want to actually talk about a few things from this convention, a few things not from this convention, uh, which is why I call the segment Pierre Potpourri. There's a few things to talk about about Pierre Polyev, interlinked kind of through the one connective tissue known as Pierre Polyev. But let's start with your initial thoughts on his speech. Give me your thoughts on like what he said this weekend in Quebec City. Was there anything interesting, anything politically resonant, anything strategically fascinating for you? Put some things on the table. We'll talk about this, and then I've got a couple questions for you guys. Sure. So I will start by saying I read the speech. I didn't watch it. I saw a couple of clips, so I got a little bit of a sense of his delivery. But and, you know, your mileage may have varied depending on how you digested the speech. And I think that's one of the realities that you're always dealing with with these kinds of uh, major projects of communications these days. Are you seeing the whole thing? Are you seeing clips? Are you reading it? Are you hearing analysis about it? A lot of people have opinions about things just based on analysis. I suspect even a few of our listeners will now be determining how they think about the speech they didn't listen based on ours. Might even be a strategist. We don't know. I mean, there's no evidence. We might have had listeners before that intro. Yeah. That intro was excellent. I think it was. Okay. Let's go back to it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in a bit. Maybe we can have an outro that rivals it for excellence there. Here's the thing it was. My overall thoughts of the speech, it was a really good speech. It tells a very compelling story about a Canada that has lost its way. Now, if you scratch on it even a little bit, if you put a bit of critical thought to it, I I have to take exception with some of the things that he said. But let's put all of that aside right now. That speech should scare the shit out of the liberals because it effectively makes a fairly compelling case that things are a lot worse now than they were when Justin Trudeau took office ignores a lot of good, ignores things like the Canada Child Tax Benefit, right? But talks about crime being up, talks about the cost of living being up, gives a lot of personal stories about people being affected. I mean, we criticized in the Alberta election the lack of personal stories. This was the exact opposite. This was more personal stories than not, it felt like. You know, know, he talked about people he met at the Sioux, you know, the 74-year-old who had to go live in his daughter's basement, potentially. I mean, story after story after story. And the, the fact of the matter is, I, I kind of remember them. And that is the power of those stories. Mm. And we saw on display his real ability to craft a speech. And so if I'm the liberals, I'm thinking about the content. I'm thinking about the structure. And while I didn't see it, the delivery, I think, will also resonate with Canadians based on the few clips I saw. Pretty Now. Yeah, go ahead. The last thing I'll say, very strategically interesting how he approached, uh, you know, Trudeau's dance partners. 
Um, really, really funny. There was a line, I can't remember exactly what it was, but essentially he said something about like the Trudeau Singh Alliance was like a disaster for Canadians and was making you poorer. And then he said, let me repeat in French, laissez-moi répéter. And then he talked about the Trudeau Blanchett Alliance. And, and this was actually something that he did a lot. Whenever he was speaking in English, he was talking about Singh and the NDP. Whenever he was talking in French, he talked about Blanchett and the Bloc. And literally never the twain shall meet. Like if you go through the speech, there's not a lot of mentions of the NDP in French. There's no mentions of the Bloc in English. So, I, I mean, I've, I'm not sure I've actually seen a politician so clearly divide in one speech and just act as though he's not saying different things. Hmm, that's interesting. Carter, give me give me your reaction to Corey's statement of the Trudeau liberals should be scared shitless after hearing that speech. Do you agree with that? Assessment? I'm terrified for them. I mean, message discipline is something that we talk a lot about. And we and Corey brought it up. We talked about, we were begging for personal stories from Rachel Notley, begging for them during the podcast. Um, you know, and, and Pierre Polyev has them. Pierre Polyev not only has the personal stories, he has them and he tells them in an engaging way, you know, but like, like a lot of storytellers, um, his commitment to truth isn't necessarily there, right? His commitment to honesty isn't necessarily there. But the problem with that isn't that he's lying. The problem with that is that we as, as a species have a tendency to be very comfortable believing falsehoods that we wish to believe. Uh, and I think that, you know, Corey's point, Corey saying that uh, Pierre Polyev is painting a, a, a worse off Canada is absolutely true. And, and some of these language choices, you know, the costly coalition, um, the, the painting the picture of housing as a right, uh, not a right the way that we necessarily think of it for low income Canadians. I think he's posturing it as a right for low mid income Canadians, right? Uh, traditional renters, um, you know, he, he has has put forward an idea. He has put forward language that appeals to people, and he is delivering it in a in a very solid way, which really mimics um, kind of the, some of the most successful communicators of our time. And we can we can talk about the ethics of them. We can talk about you know what does it mean when when you have some of these you know cha challenges that are associated with. Uh, a lack of honesty in a leader, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is he he is hitting the notes that need to be hit, and Trudeau has not been hitting those notes. So if I'm in the liberal communications uh, department right now, I'm I'm hitting alarm bells because if something doesn't change very very quickly, then Pierre Polyev is the next prime minister of Canada. Corey, was this a kick in the pants? You feel like? Do you feel like? Like it's been a long time coming. We've seen a lot of things. There's been polls. I want to talk about polls in a second. Um, do you feel like this weekend w would have been a kick in the pants if you're sitting in the PMO? I hope this wasn't the first time they realized Pierre Polyev is likely to be the next prime minister unless they dramatically change their approach to things here. Yeah. It, the speech was a good reminder about how governments incur baggage. Right. One one of the things that I 
Yeah, I, I, you know, again, your mileage will vary. But one of the things that made me roll my eyes about the speech was the number of small ball things that the liberals had done, quips that Trudeau had made that had been mm-hmm. repurposed into attacks and whatnot. And, and again, it's a good reminder, eight years in, you're going to have a bunch of them. But I wasn't, for example, thinking that we'd be hearing about ArriveCat yeah. Yeah, in, sure. in this particular speech, which got, a, you know, multiple call outs there. I didn't think we'd hear about the passports, which wasn't that long ago, but also wasn't that big. And uh-huh. But, you know, you can almost go through it and check off the various things that uh, the prime minister has said that then became the hook with which uh, Pierre Polyev could talk about an issue. And the biggest one, of course, uh, and to your point about if you're the liberals and you're watching this is it's very clear they know where the liberals are going. The liberals are not being super artful on this. I don't think you need to be tricky or sneaky in political communications, but he kept talking about, you know, Canadians aren't angry. I met this person. They're not angry. They're scared. I met this person. They're not angry. They're anxious. You know, giving the, you know, the personal vignettes about working the extra job, Uber Eats, tiredness in their eyes, all mm-hmm, these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then he kind of moved to, I'm angry for them. And interesting, right? Because first of all, he he gets to say, the prime minister is calling you angry. How dare he? But he's also giving himself a bit of a defense for when he is inevitably called angry. He's like, because he's saying, I'm not, I'm not angry for me. I'm angry for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a vessel. For, I'm, I'm a the vessel. vessel yeah, and I'm angry. You know, very Trumpian in that sense, right? Like, I am your retribution. I am your justice, is what Donald yeah. Trump would say. Pierre Polyev's miles from there. But it is a similar kind of thought that you become rage channeled uh, into the political sphere. Carter, did you see any new political muscles through this speech by Pierre, either through what he said, how he said it, how he looked? I mean, the look is interesting because he's it's kind of like a bit of old plus new, right? Like it's the it's the new look, clearly. He actually references it quite early in the speech, right? Like a guy who lost his glasses sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. As a self-deprecating. A square-headed guy who lost his glasses. Yeah, it's like a self-deprecating thing, you know, effectively saying his wife's out of, uh, you, know, you know, way uh, uh, out of his league sort of thing. But Carter, what he said, how he said it, did you see anything new? I guess this is why I asked a liberal question. A kick in the pants. Corey's right. They've known this for a while, or I hope they've known this for a while. Was there a new thing that you saw today that that actually, to your words, shouldn't make them feel terrified? New is interesting because I I, I want to say that yes, there is something new that I saw, and that something new is is in his eyes or it's you know whatever. But I, for me, it was actually the remarkable commitment to consistency that really was scary, right? Yes. Like he he called on the CBC to be defunded. He said that uh, the media works for Trudeau. You know, like these are. These are things that he has said before and they are, you know, he's bringing them up and he's bringing them up and he's bringing them up and it's consistent. And one, I mean, we know that messages repeated are messages understood and he, he's pushing it out. He used the big stage today, he, or this weekend, he used the big stage to get his message out to people who were listening and would hear it now, you know. It doesn't need to be new to be effective. And I think that that's where I'm going to end it because I don't think it was new. Corey may have more nuance. Corey remembers more than I do. Mm. Um, but for me, it wasn't that it was new. It was that it was disciplined. It wasn't that, you know, all of a sudden he's throwing out 
the cost of housing. He's been talking about the cost of housing forever. He brings up things that happened in the past. He's a dog with a bone. He doesn't let anything slide. He grabs it, he holds it, and he will not let it go because he knows that that's how Canadians, that's how everybody, frankly, um, learns to, learns and brings in messaging. Corey, I, I, Carter, I appreciate how you kind of like took new and said, you know, that that's not it, but that's not the point in some ways too, Corey. But I'm going to ask you the same question. Any new muscles that you saw politically demonstrated by Pierre Polyev? And we know how you consume this. It was differently than Carter. Yeah. I, and I don't, in his speech, he didn't talk about CBC. He did in remarks around it. So one of the things about the speech is he said certain things and he said other things in other venues. And I'm sure we'll get into some of the conversations that occurred at the conservative convention here. I said on Thursday, one of the things I would be looking for is how he addressed the issue of the environment, if he had answers for climate change. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure I would say they were new answers for him, but I thought that the communications packaging was was um, you know pretty solid and it's going to resonate with an awful lot of Canadians. Effectively, if I can boil down his message in his speech, it was, you've got this tax on everything, acts yes. tax, you know, yes. and... Canada is coming in super badly on emissions targets. So effectively, he's saying two things, and he's acting as though they're causal in a way that, again, I would argue they are absolutely yeah. not, right? But Canada has missed every emissions target, ranked 58th out of 63 in combating climate change, which he called the real problem of climate change. So, you know, there's no climate denial there. Right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know kind of ignoring the fact that we are sort of starting from a really shitty position too, because of course, this is a very cold country, blah, 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 all of these things going on. But it's enough, I think, for a lot of people to say, mm. you're paying this tax. Nobody knows about their levies. Nobody processes that anyways. He doesn't need to do a lot of lift there. He's saying, you're paying this tax. And we're 58 out of 63. And then he goes on to essentially leverage some of the same overarching communication he's made on the need to eliminate the gatekeepers to sort of free Canadians from the yoke of government. And that's where these solutions will come from. And so, you know, he talks about how they want taxes. I want technology. He he wants to free people to build all of these new uh, green product, you know, energy and electricity production things that will solve our problems. By the way, talks a lot about the various electricity alternatives out there doesn't mention solar doesn't mention wind talks about nuclear talks about hydro and um essentially is creating a conservative version of how you can approach climate change which is to get rid of the regulations and taxes that the government has provided now a lot of steps missing in between there a lot of gaps you know the suggestion though that we would be more green if government got out of the way bonkers fucking fascinating to me from a communications mm. point of view because it effectively takes a message that environmentalists have been using for a while the idea that these things have actually become economically competitive and it's turning its head and saying you know so if you're pierre polyev you're saying yeah i agree so government should get out of the way yeah we shouldn't have to tax you we shouldn't it. have to do any of this shit we should truly let the market figure it out I want to get to my my four sort of like themes on this potpourri. So let me let me start there because I, I like these initial thoughts, and we can we can duck in and out of his speech to do this. But Carter, let me start with you on this. Today's September 10, twenty three. Pierre Polyev became leader on September 10, twenty twenty two. 
Today's the one-year anniversary. And I recall that the lead-up to that one-year anniversary question, even the day he won in a major way, let's not forget how much of a thumping his victory was, was that even with the analysis, it was about a party divided. Where's the soul of the conservative movement? What's going to happen? Are they going to be able to stitch these two halves that don't belong together together in a meaningful way? Carter, that's that conversation seems to have died out, if not been completely wiped off the table. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the strategy around unification. Your your thoughts around it for Pierre one year later, are you impressed? Are you not impressed? Do you feel like there's still risks? Give me a couple thoughts on this as a first sort of topic in, in Pierre. You know, we were told very early on that the, the, the strategy for Pierre Polyev would be to, uh, you know, go to the right to win the leadership and then move back to the center where, Moderate. you know, and, and, right. and pivot back, pivot. He's just going to pivot. Um, my problem is that he hasn't really pivoted, right? He he's, He remains kind of the the relatively far right guy out there and people like Peter McKay are, are absolutely willing to sell their soul to him um, just to be a part of the team, just to sound, you know, just to say, and just to be clear for folks that didn't watch McKay was at the convention, stood up on stage and endorsed Pierre, something that many may not have expected considering Pierre, um, Peter McKay sort of more PC sort of stripes. Yeah. Back I mean, one questions is PC stripes and whether or not he, he, uh, See, you know, sure. I just think that there's some people who are willing to sell themselves to to uh, to keep the, the the whole, and you don't need many. You don't need many. Like the people that I knew that used to go to these conventions didn't go to the convention, right? They just didn't go. Now that's okay. They had 2,500 other people who went to the conventions. You don't need everybody, but all you need is some tokens to put out front to say, see, look, everybody's with me now. Everybody's playing the game with us. Everybody's paying attention. And, and Pierre or Pierre pulled out Peter McKay. You know, way to go, Pete. Um, you know, way to stand by any principles you may have had at one point. But this is also the guy who sold the PCs out to, uh, to Stephen Harper. So I guess we shouldn't be that surprised. Um, but, you know, so do I think that it's a, it's a party divided? Not really. Um, because the population at large is embracing them. You know, people like me don't matter in this case, right? Like the, the, the 2,500 people that would have been at the convention if it was Jean Charest as the leader versus the 2,500 people that would be at the convention with, with Pierre Polyev, it's irrelevant. What's relevant now is that Pierre Polyev has been successful in rallying the people and the people have... Spoke, are are in the midst of speaking, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not. Well, I'm sure he's going to get a bump even out of this convention, regardless of how high he was before. Corey, he didn't moderate. He didn't pivot. He he stayed true to who he was. He was that person that that many said would not be you know viable or tenable. He seems to be up in the polls. Talk to me about how impressed you are around his quote-unquote strategy of unification one year uh, on to the day of, of him assuming leadership of the conservatives? I I mean, we can run the tape, but I, I do think that both Stephen and I were pretty confident that he would have a united party because he won so dramatically. Like uh-huh. You don't really have to worry about 20% of the party turning on you post-leadership race, right? He just, it, he had such a commanding lead here. He won by too much for unity to have been a real risk or a real challenge. The question became, like, whether you could maintain that goodwill as you get down, you know, into the act of making yourself appealable to Canadians. 
And that's where the, you know, the McKay thing comes in here. It, mm. it wasn't about unity in the party. It wasn't about red Tories and blue Tories. It was about them putting together a media moment to talk about the palatability of them to Canadians and again, defend themselves against those Trudeau accusations, those liberal accusations that they're extreme, you know, that they are, they are too far to the right, which they know are coming and they are building just with blocks around it, defenses about that. They're finding the right messaging or the messaging that works for them in terms of the angry, right? And they are finding the right allies and people they can point to, like Peter McKay, to say, no, we're not some crazy brand of conservatives. We got this endorsement from this PC, and there will be more, Mm -hmm, I'm sure, mm -hmm. as they go through here. But, you know, I think, and we talked a bit about this on Thursday, the idea that they're going to wrap everything that they're doing as common sense, and we've sort of lost touch with the things that made Canada great and the legacy that was Canada and the opportunity that we could present ourselves and our children, it's going to have a lot of fans. And and Stephen's 100% correct. The more that shows up in the polls, the more the people who were sitting around and maybe not willing to give him that shine and that support are going to be running right back into the tent. Well, and he's mixing up Carter, respond. I want to jump to the he's next. He's mixing next, up positions too, right? Like he's not right wing all the time. I mean, his positioning on housing, like having Scott Atchison and Michelle Rempel weigh in on the Calgary housing question, and then watching little Greg McLean uh, kind of wee, wee, wee all the way back home because he didn't have enough balls to stand up on his own. Um, I mean, it's fascinating because, you know, young voters are moving to Pierre Polyev in a way that you wouldn't expect, but but they're hearing the message that he's giving. He's giving them the message that they want to hear. They too can be a part of a prosperous uh, Canada and they've been left behind. That's what they want to hear. It's the same as Trump, you know, giving those messages um, to, you know, union workers in, in Pennsylvania. They believed it, they followed it and it didn't matter even if it didn't come true. They're still with him because he's the only one who's saying those words. He's the only one saying those messages. Pierre Polyev is the only one talking about giving back to this generation that which we took for granted in previous generations. Corey, finish this off in here. Yeah, you know, Donald Trump didn't have solutions. The modern Republican Party doesn't have solutions. But they're not fucking wrong that people in the Midwest who used to have good middle-class jobs working in factories have been absolutely fucked by the past 20, 30 years, if not a little bit more here. And I think that that's the thing that Pierre Polyev also has in his court here. Are people frustrated that they might not be able to have a home, that they're not going to be as prosperous as their parents? They fucking are. And it's true. Like, this is one of those things where it's not just spin. There is a fundamental reality here that Pierre Polyev is pointing out, and Justin Trudeau is the prime minister as that reality has taken hold. Some of these are bigger problems. They're global problems. Doesn't mean they're not Justin Trudeau's problems. Doesn't mean they're not real. I've got I've got three things in addition to what we just talked about that I want to discuss in, in this segment. So, Corey, let me start with one of them. Polls. Nine, put, nine point aggregated lead is what it sits right now. But there's always a conversation of, are you peaking too early? We've talked about this in a more sure. global way on this podcast before, but now we've got a specific. Pierre Polyev, no election expected until 2025. Is he peaking too early as a strategist? Would you be concerned he's peaking too early if you're helping him out? Give me your thoughts on this. Carter, same question to you in a second. Yeah, I mean, not really. We certainly have seen 
tons of instances in the last bit where the government has looked like a dead government walking two years out from their mandate. And that's just how it's going to be. I would rather be here than 10 points behind. All of the pressure is on uh, Justin Trudeau right now. I almost said Pierre Trudeau. I think he's okay. I don't think people are putting the pressure on him as it stands. But there is a question as to whether um, Pierre Polyev might be going out on certain policy limbs. I don't think the consequences are going to be high. But for example, to talk about how he's going to tackle inflation, it's quite possible in 18 months, inflation will have tackled itself. I mean, not itself. A lot of hard work by a lot of people, not trying to, you know, denigrate the good work of the Bank of Canada here. But we might be back at 2%, you know, by the time the next election comes Mm -hmm. uh, year Mm -hmm. over year. And so if that's the case... I don't know, maybe you're handing the Liberals something to say. He was chicken little. He wanted to do all of these extreme things. He wanted us to cut off the tap on the programs you care about. We stayed the course. We made sensible, prudent decisions. Inflation got back in line. And you have childcare. And you have those other supports that we've created uh, along the way. And so, you know, that's a possibility. I don't think it's a big one. And I also think people can overthink some of those things. This is something he's got now. There's a moment. It's hurting Justin Trudeau. That hurt will pay dividends in its own right. We were just talking about how sometimes you can get in virtuous cycles where people who were your critics internally become your best pals, you know, once you start to show a little bit of daylight in the polls between you and your opponent. But um, yeah, I, I, I think he's fine on that front. Things to watch, nothing major. Uh, Carter, I'm going to let you have a, sh- uh, a shot at that uh, in a second here, but I did want to quickly plug our, our sponsor, Flair Airlines. No, uh, right. Flair Airlines, uh, you can never peak if you never rise. Carter, you know, <laughs> same question to you uh, on this. Is Give me your like, strategist wisdom. Is this entire notion of peaking too early like a media pundit analyst narrative, or is it actually like strategist true? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like in our line, like we we put on multiple hats. Sometimes we do punditry and we maybe even said, oh, I'm worried. I actually said this on Thursday. I'm like, you know, this is going to maybe create more attention on him. I don't know if I actually fundamentally believed it. Like put on your strategist hat. The wisdom as as an operative is peaking too early real. And and what do you think of it and its application to Pierre is Paul? Is peaking yet? too early real? Yeah. I mean, we can think of many different scenarios where we've seen a political party uh, kind of reach their height, um, you know, a month, a year. Let, let, me, let me phrase it. Is it a risk to be no, mitigated? Let me put it that. Don't go, oh, shit. You know, let's set out something unpopular so we can drop down seven points. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's that's not what you do. No, but let's 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 slow our climb. How let's, do you do let's, that? You know, that's how do you do that? I mean, this is not. This is, my, this this is, is the heart of my this question. This is a science. Or this is an art, not a science. Like, we, we can't predict necessarily how everything is going to land. And. Sometimes we wind up way out in front and then we've spent everything, all the capital, all the things that we had. And, oh, no, what are we going to do? Other times we get way out in front and it holds. Um, You cannot predict and you can't hold back. You know, the the great risk. I don't think the great risk is that people are going to look at Pierre Polyev and not like what they see. I think that the great risk is that suddenly Canadian, you know, the the. the 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 wis the the wizened group of of leaders within the uh, liberal party say okay it's time for Justin to take his walk in the snow, um, and that might create a different dynamic. All of a sudden, you're geared up to run against Justin Trudeau and uh, the liberal elite, the the wrench and elite get rid of Justin. That's a risk. That's a real risk. Um, 
And frankly, mm-hmm. as someone who doesn't want to see Pierre Polyev as prime minister, especially at a time when we have Danielle Smith as premier, um, I hope that it's something that, that, that actually happens. I hope that there are wise people around uh, Justin Trudeau who, who say to him, you know, you've got until January, and if you're not moving in January, you're moving out in January. Carter, I, w- I want to stick with you for the next thing on, on my uh, Pierre Potpourri okay. list. It's there. It's his ads. So over the weekend, media has reported uh, through conservative sources that they've got more ads. They've got more creative in the in the can, ready to go. One thing we know from the polls, Carter, uh, at least from a couple of polls, is that the ads seem to be working. They seem to have this sort of um, ability, at least as much as ads would, right? At least from from some of the tracking that they have done um, to soften Pierre's image, to present him more of a family man. The goals that they had are being met. The question I have, and, and, and in, the, in that same vein of strategist wisdom, which is, if it's working, do you add more stuff to the mix? I don't think any the three of us would agree that an, an, furthering the ad campaign is a bad idea, unless you do jump in on that. But adding new creative when the creative that you have is already working, Give me your thoughts on that. What's your line to kind of make that decision? I know it's a, it could be an entire episode on its own, but it's come up this weekend, and I wanted to just get your take on it. It seems to be working. They have more. What should they do? Give me the strategy. There's a big Carter. difference between changing the creative and changing the messaging. Um, you know, there are a thousand different ways to say the same thing. Uh, most people on this podcast have heard Corey do it. Um, so, you know, when you don't have anything new to say, you just repeat that which was there before. Um, so there's a, you know, he's not, this isn't Pierre Polyev's going to change the message. It's Pierre, this message, this messaging set is working. Pierre Polyev is going to change the creative and keep the messaging to keep it fresh, push out new ideas, push out new messaging and win over new audiences. Um, you know, far be it from us, you know, who, who are involved in communications, who are involved in advertising to suggest on any level that advertising doesn't work. This is well-tested advertising that is performing mm-hmm. as expected in the market. Um, you, you know, that that's our bread and butter. That's what we're supposed to be doing in, in, in our campaigns. Um, but, you know, Pierre Polyev has got... And keep in mind, this is one of the uh, unintended consequences of you know, spending limits during the writ. Oh, we get to curtail how much money is spent during the writ. Good for you. Now you've made it so that there is no curtailing the amount of money that is spent outside of the writ. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's lunacy how we think that we can control these things and different outcomes will happen. Uh, Pierre Polyev is successful in his communication strategy. Uh, he will continue to put out more communications. Corey, give me your thoughts on this, right? Like they, they, the conditions as we know them, they have an ad campaign. It seems to be working. They've got more ads. They want to do another buy. The real question is, give me your wisdom or how you'd make a decision around swapping the creative or adding new creative if what you already have seems to be doing the job. Well, it depends on, on what they're trying to do. And they are going to have much better information than us, whether it is Absolutely. still doing the job. So when you talk about advertising, there's two things that are, I think, relevant to this particular conversation because we're talking about ad creative and we're talking about more ads. There are diseconomies of scale and economies of scale in advertising. The economies of scale come from, obviously your creative costs per placement are a lot lower when you run that ad a ton of times and you use the same creative, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. 
But you run into diseconomies of scale. At a certain point, the ad stops working and you can throw more money at it, but you're no longer getting the efficacy you used to. And so you see a bit of a tapering off in its ability to change minds as it goes along here. So they have a better sense of whether they've hit any kind of ceilings in terms of, well, that creative's not necessarily working anymore. Saturation, or not. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have they hit that saturation point? Have they not? If they're spending that kind of money, I'm sure they're doing market research, and I'm sure they're understanding that a little bit better. And you have to assume from the outside, and I certainly do, that they're not idiots, and they've sort of figured out that they uh, you know, can push this further by switching up the creative. But there's a couple of things I want to say there. One is, you do have to say it's part of a strategy. Like, where do mm. they want to get with what, why, and when? Right. And and that's an interesting question for me, because do you want everybody to feel this way about Pierre Polyev to like the highest degree in November of 2023? Well, why? What What's that going to do for you? Is it because you expect a liberal counteroffensive to come and you want to make sure you're in market at the same time? So you don't want to risk flighting your advertisements. And for those who don't know, flighting is a theory of advertising where you go in heavy, you taper out a little bit. And you come back heavy a bit later just to get back to top of mind at the point where it really matters. And it's very Mm -hmm. common in political advertising. The idea being you set the issue, you keep it at a boil, you remind people of the relevance at the time that it matters. And maybe they've decided that won't work because there's another player on the field here. The other particular component is maybe they were always potentially going to run advertising through here. And maybe their creative costs aren't marginally consequential maybe this is all being done in-house maybe they're paying the video team anyways Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so they might as well be doing something and if they change it up maybe you'll get some earned media from that as well and it's all part of the communication strategy like we simply just don't know enough from the outside but i will say it's not crazy to me that they would switch up the creative given that any of those things that i've talked about might be on the field right now I, I love that analysis. This is why I wanted to kind of jump into it, right? As as folks who've, who, you know, between the three of us who've, who've placed, created, scripted, done all of that sort of stuff, bought media in certain cases to place advertising. I guess the question I have, if I can spend a few more minutes on this, yeah. Carter, is, you know, have you seen a play where because new creative for advertising was on the menu of what we do next, it was the next thing we're supposed to do that it's actually undercut what's been working. Change doesn't necessarily equal progress. Talk to me about that. That's kind of at the heart of the issue, what I wanted to get to. And I know we can't discern from like one source that that's what's happening here, but that's kind of the conversation I wanted to have. Like, give me your experience where simply the change, because it's the next thing we're supposed to do, undercuts the progress that you seem to be already making with your your existing. And it could be advertising, it could be strategy, it could be messaging, but that's kind of the heart of the, the, the I'm issue. I'm trying to think back to when we've seen an advertisement completely fuck up. And the one that's popping into my head was the um, anti-John Gretchen ad uh, that the conservatives ran. And that was an ad of desperation, right? It was a, They were already falling. The ad was designed to be an attack. Uh, it made fun of his facial... Um, uh, paralysis as a result of, I think it was a stroke. I, I'm, I'll be corrected in the Discord. Uh, I think it was yeah, Bell's, Bell's palsy. palsy. That's right. Thank you, Corey. Um, but you know, this is a this isn't his choice. This is you know they were making fun of a physical disform- deformity, but they felt like they had to throw the bomb into uh, into the ad creative because they were struggling, and I think that that's. That's really scary. When you're behind and you've got creative that you could uh, blow up the campaign with, 
um, there is also a chance it blows up your campaign. I don't think that this is the situation that Pierre Polyev finds himself in right now. Mm. He's on top. His ad is working. Things are going the right way. Why wouldn't he put out another another uh, tranche of ads? Because they are working and they will be able to monitor. You know, the 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 way that we monitor advertising has completely changed. Because especially in politics, where you've got, um, you know interaction as one of your key outcomes from almost all your ads uh, because you're not just running them on television you're also running a, a set of ads on online you can see what's happening you can see what the interaction rates look like and if things start to go suddenly wrong you just pull them and i i just think that i just think that where where pierre finds himself at this point he's not facing any real challenge on uh, this being potentially negative on uh, in any way, shape, or form. Corey, the uh, last qu- question on this one to you too. Same one, right? Uh, your any experiences you may have had where you've either seen the desire to do something just because it's on the plan undercut the progress you're making with your existing creative, existing message, existing plan that you, existing sort of tactic that you're you're, you're employing. Oh, I mean, for sure. You can flip out creative too frequently and undercut yourself in the process. One of the things that we often see with politicians in speeches is they get bored and they want to change it up. And those yeah. of us who work in communication say, no, just read the same fucking speech. Because by the time you are sick of saying it is maybe when people are starting to pay attention to it. And the repetition is just such an important thing in order to deliver any message, certainly in politics as well. And so if you're flipping creative out too frequently, you're maybe not giving it time to land any advertising strategy. You're going to be talking about breadth and depth, right? And and frequency, how many times you are going to be hitting the same people. So, you know, you, you might have... Uh, you know, a reach of 50,000 and you're going to hit each of those people three times. That might be part of your strategy. You might need to hit them 15 times with a political ad in order for them to start feeling it and hearing it. That's just the realities we deal with in politics. That's what we deal with with advocacy and trying to change people's opinions here. It's not quite the same as this is where you go when you want to buy an RV, right? You're not mm-hmm, just trying mm-hmm. to plant one thing and you're trying to like really hammer in some conceptual shit. And so... um those are some of the things that maybe lend you to want to leave an ad in a little bit longer, right? You you put the ad in and you just let it run to the point where anybody could repeat it to you back if you were so inclined to do it. Corey, I'm going to start with you on this last one, if you don't mind. So I talked about, we've already on this segment, talked about the the polling. We've talked about the advertising. We've talked about his convention speech. The last thing I want to talk about is convention policies. Uh-huh. And you guys made a bit of a, yeah. a discussion about this on Thursday. But now we know what happened. There was a few social conservative policies, right? They they had high levels of support from the floor. Uh, you know, they, they approved a, a policy uh, banning medical or surgical intervention for children experiencing gender dysphoria. That had about 70% approval. Uh, they also had a, another policy in the same vein. I'm just trying to pull it up here. That was around 80%. While you guys give me a response on this, uh, I'll pull up exactly what it was. But social conservative policies... And one may argue detract from the economic message, maybe even detract from the speech. Strategist wisdom, a big issue now that you see what what kind of laid out there. If you're in that Pierre sort of debrief, convention debrief strategy room, you see some of the headlines. You got a lot of good ones. You got a right. lot of solid ones. You got a lot of like halo from polling, but you also have a couple of these. How concerned are you? 
I, I'm not. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, the, the reality is, if you poll on these issues with certain phrasings, you are going to find 70% support amongst Canadians, right? And and so the Conservatives have picked the kind of the social grounds, the social justice grounds that the Liberals are on the, the least firm ground on when it comes to overall national public opinion and allowed those to go forward. I think in some ways it was a pretty fascinating strategy. I believe it was entirely intentional. I'll call mm. it a lightning rod strategy, where they knew that this issue would generate a lot of media feedback and blowback. They knew this would generate a lot of commentariat feedback and blowback. But they knew that when it gets down to it and you pull Canadians on it, they're probably not really that out of step with where the majority of Canadians are. That's just a simple reality. You know, we're not talking about something that is about the acceptance of transgendered people more generally. We're talking about surgeries with children, not fully reversible in some cases. And that makes a lot of people very, very nervous. And I think that the Conservatives calculated if they're going to be talking about a social issue, they know the media is looking for something to come out of their policy. Mm -hmm. They would just assume it'd be this than any of the other shit that might have come forward. And by doing this, they also have somewhat inoculated themselves from the internal charge that they are trying to keep all of those policies off the floor. So let me put words in your mouth. You're saying that if you're in that that debrief room tonight for Pierre Polyev and his team, not only are you like, this is not an issue, but you might even be saying, great, we did our job. It worked. Yeah, like if I'm Pierre Polyev, I'm I'm definitely not walking any further on this particular issue. I am mm-hmm. certainly not making it a situation where uh, I'm talking about it for the next two weeks if it's of my own ability not to. But I also don't think that it hurts me that much if people are saying, can you believe the Conservatives passed this policy? Because there's a there's a silent group of Canadians who probably feel exactly the same way. Carter, the other policy that the delegates voted on was nearly 90% of them supported a plan to demand single-sex spaces that are only open to women, which they had a definition of as as a female person, so that you know the imported American debate, or at least what started in the U.S. about a biological woman, has found itself here uh, as well. Carter, same question to you. You're in that war room tonight with Corey. Are you saying this is exactly what we wanted, or are you a bit concerned that that this is also finding itself out there as much as some of the accolades for the weekend that I think there's I think that the trans pay the trans issues um with children have a big audience I think that Corey's exactly right you know you start asking about children parents you know rightly or wrongly feel like they they should have a a voice in their children's lives and and we can discuss that a million different ways um but you're not going to change that today Right. Like the, the liberals aren't going to change that um, trans bathroom stuff like this, this stuff that is a negative. And I think the other negative is around the covid vaccination question and the covid act vaccination question. When they're starting to talk about bodily autonomy, um, bodily autonomy to prevent vaccination. I mean, are they talking about the same bodily autonomy when inv- availing opportunities for abortion? Um, are you talking about the same bodily autonomy for people who identify as trans? Like it's very, the, the conservatives are self-selecting things very much uh, to fit their own hypocrisy, if you will. And I think that that can be a bit of a wedge. Now, having said that, compared to the economic issues that they're talking about, these are really small wedges and Corey's point holds. For the most part, these are expected outcomes of a convention that has conservatives at it. Um, that doesn't mean I like it. 
but it is an expected outcome. And expected outcomes generally don't hurt people in the future. Corey, you look at this, it's attractive if you're the liberals, right? And race-based hiring, you got these two high numbers that they have voted on as it relates to um, the, the the gender dysphoria, as well as the, the definition of uh, what is a woman uh, and the safe spaces, as they called it. Where do you go if you're the liberals on this? Do you go? Do you pick any one of these lanes and say, you know what, this is a scab, and even though they may have wanted this, we've listened to this podcast, Corey might be right, this is a lightning rod, this is what they wanted to put out there, it's still a liability, it's still a vote getter, we're going to run with it. Is there any of these three, or is there anything else, or even is is there anything out of the convention that you'd say, there's some soft tissue here and I want to go for it uh, from a pure political basis as, as the liberals attacking the conservatives? Yeah, well, I think that modern politics we all appreciate is about coalitions of many, many groups. And for sure, I'm doing reach out, stakeholder reach out to various groups. I'm for sure making sure that I make at least one firm statement about these policies. But I'm, you know, I I think I'm thinking about whether this is ground that the conservatives want to be on or not. And if it is, it probably means it isn't for me, which is not to say that I change my values or weaken my principles. But You've ultimately got to ask yourself, if you're the liberals, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? What is your story? And I think this is a bit of a challenge that the liberals have right now. They had this cabinet shuffle. It was ostensibly because they wanted to put more of a focus on the economy. I'm not sure any of us bought that, right? But I'd be curious what their story actually is, what they're going to be planning to say in 2025 about their government versus Pierre Polyev. Because it feels to me right now what they're going to say is that he is scary and angry and out of touch with the mainstream. And Pierre Polyev is going to say, I'm all about common sense and I want to get back to where we were before you took government, Justin. I want to make sure that, uh, you know, the next generation can have the opportunities that we had. I think it's unconscionable that our GDP per capita has actually declined over the time that you've been prime minister. And then what are you going to do? So... I guess I don't have a problem if they decide that they want to get into this and fight on this, as long as that is part of the story that they are trying to tell. But I think they need to be a lot more intentional about their communications. And they need, I said earlier, and I really mean it, these are not secret plans. You don't have a stealth Mm -hmm. political Mm -hmm. strategy here. If Stephen and I, and look, and it's not just us, many people have made the same critique. But like we're kind of professional strategists. We do this for a living. I do communication strategy for a living. I don't know what the fuck their communication strategy is. That's a real problem for them, right? Like it's got to be a lot clearer what they're trying to do here. That is such an interesting point. Like it's it's so simple, but it's so interesting. And I do want to underline it for a second, right? Like I always credit Stephen as as at least in my sort of political life as being the the author of the open source strategy, right? (laughs) I'd always say because Carter, you would like literally be like, here's the document. Anyone who wants it on the team can have it. Please email it to your friends. Please send it to any donor. Uh, Please like, oh, if the opposition asks for it, just let them know, right? Like this is what we're going to do. We'll let them know when we do. And I'm exaggerating, right? Like for a fact, right? But you, 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 and, and Corey, you're right. Like you, you're making the point that because they haven't telegraphed or indicated what they're going to do, right? Like, and, and, and we don't know it. It, it almost, and this is where I'm going to add a bit in, Carter, and get your take on the same point that Corey's made. It's it's almost indicative that there isn't a plan, that there isn't a strategy, that that it's it's not working because stealth is not the goal, right? Uh, 
you actually want to lay down the tracks. That is part of the goal. You want people to know where you're going. It actually helps the outcome when people know what's next, when they have a sense of what's next, uh, so to speak. So, Carter, your your reaction to this? Well, I mean, I think that I think that I'm going to add a little bit to what Corey said. And what Corey said is, we don't know what the the communication story is going to be. I think go one step further. I'm not sure I could articulate what it should be. Right? Like we had a time we had a time when they were going through and saying, you know, this is you know, we're going to be essentially we're going to be the party of, you know, working moms and and we're going to make sure that we've got the uh, you know, these great child care programs. We're going to put dental care in for for low income families. I mean, some really interesting ideas that were brought forward that 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 took the Canadian family, uh, especially out of the um, the pandemic into a very strong position. Except now the Canadian family's there and they're kind of going, yeah, not that strong because it turned out the dental care. Yeah, we want that, but we'd want to be able to own a house too. And the liberals are like, yeah, but I gave you $10 daycare. Well, that's great. I, I, I like $10 daycare. We, we, that, I thank you for that. That was last year. What are you going to give me this year? And that's where things are really falling apart for the Trudeau liberals. The next, what's next? Not what did we do last? It's what did we? What are we going to do next? And they're struggling with that. They don't have the answer. And 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 as you know, quote unquote, skilled political advisors or, or observers, I'm not sure I know what it should be right now, um, because the land. Corey mentioned this in, in, in earlier. You want to fight on land that makes sense for you, not fighting on land that makes sense for the other guy. And Pierre Polyev just took all the good land. He's on the high ground, and you're looking <laughs> up at him going, oh, fuck. Well, that didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, Carter, you, now you saying that, listen, you don't know what the plan should yeah. be. Almost to me means, Corey, I think we're we're... We're teeing up the liberal strategy. Episode. Oh, the next liberal strategy. How do they special. get back to parity? I feel like that's that's their next goal. How do they how do they get back in it? Because uh, right now they're not in it, right? They are not in it right now, Corey. Uh, if, if you, you wanted to jump in here, jump in here, and then and then I'll move it on to to, to some other things. Well, yeah, when when they were elected in 2015, there was this notion that they were real change and they had this focus on the middle class. And when you looked at the demos and who was supporting them, it was it was pretty even across age groups, fascinatingly even. In fact, you had uh, a lot of new Canadian majority uh, communities, immigrant majorities, communities that were voting for them. And I think that was like a very natural consequence of some of the decisions the conservatives made during the particular campaign. Um, but, but otherwise it seemed to be socioeconomic as much as anything. It was like the middle class brought them there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The middle class has had a rough fucking go in the last eight years. And in some ways that, that coalition has fallen a bit to pieces. And when you think about childcare, the whole idea with childcare is it was going to be make your life more affordable. But if on net your life is less affordable, yeah, childcare is great, but my mortgage is twice as expensive. Childcare is great, but I can't even afford a home. Uh-huh. I, you know, you're not actually going to be any further ahead based on your stated policy goals with that particular policy, right? And this is a challenge just fundamentally, and this gets back to the fundamentals suck for the liberals right now. And there was some really fascinating abacus polling on where the liberals were and where the government was. And the answer is basically nowhere on the issues that matter to Canadians. Um, 
But we also have past performance that I think should give the Liberals a lot of pause. And I think about going into that last federal election, which I can tell you know, I would say to this day, Aaron O'Toole could have won that election, but for mm-hmm. a couple of very stupid things that that occurred. Around, Let's not forget, you know, from a raw vote perspective, he did win that election. Yeah, well, he got the majority. Right. Yeah, he got a plurality of votes, but guns and healthcare killed him based on decisions that he made, right? And and that was ultimately the story of that election for me. The liberal strategy of that election seemed to be. You'll recall there was a budget a few months earlier. We got mm-hmm. the child care. You know, those deals were coming in yeah. left, right, and center. It seemed to be, look at everything we did, wait for applause. And when the applause did not come last time, the liberals were down in the polls, looked like they were going to lose that election. Then they started going real aggressive and real negative. And it didn't really work the first week, but they got a bit of an assist from the conservatives themselves the second week and beyond. And they managed to squeak it out, but squeak it out, right? The thing about the last election for the Liberals, and we said it, you can run the tape, is I don't know what their strategy is. I don't know what they're trying to do here. Even even more so, we don't even know why they called the election when they called the election with all control in their court as to when and what that election was about without a definition for that election the first week. I'm beginning to feel they're a party with too much history. They like they can't get past their own history. They think they should get credit for all of the things they did, you know, laudable things in the past few years from the perspective of themselves and the majority of voters, but maybe not germane to the moment that we're in right now. So the liberals really do need to knuckle down and say, what is the story? What is our coalition? Where are we going to win? Because they've been retrenching to major cities and they've been retrenching to fear of the conservatives for just too long. And, you know, that's not a strategy that works time and time again. People get bored of that strategy. So you got to tell them a little bit more. We're going to leave that segment there of Pierre Potpourri. We're going to move it on to our over, under, and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, of course, this segment is is brought to you by you. Uh, we do this segment yeah. for you, and uh, it's always been in, in done, by, uh, done for you, uh, Stephen Carter. Let me ask you this, Carter. Um, give me a ranking, scale of 1 to 10, for Mr. Pierre Polyev for his performance this weekend. All in policies, where they landed in the polls, his speech, the endorsements, the production, uh, the mileage, uh, using a Corey Hogan word from this episode, that he will get from all of this going forward. Roll all of that up and give me a grade between one and a ten. Grade be, a grade between one and ten? It was an A+. Plus. That is yeah. correct, yeah. It was an, an A+. Plus. Plus. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, what, what else? High, by the way. It doesn't get higher than that. What else are you going to leave with? Like, if you're Pierre Polyev, what could you reasonably expect to leave with out, out of this weekend than what he's actually leaving with? He's dominating the headlines. He's, he's up, you know, 14 points in some polls. The, the aggregate average has him up by 10. He's... Nine, you're 10. I yeah. round up. Um, I mean, he's... <laughs> what, what more does he want? Like, what does he want? Does he want the Jack Layton happy ending? Is that... Because that's the only thing he didn't get this weekend. That's the only thing he didn't get. Uh, Corey, are you going to make a note to see if you want to edit that part out? Uh, I, I mean, I, I I'm more making well, a note of maybe that's an episode title. The oh, happy okay, that's, that's yeah, good. I don't know. Corey, roll it all up. What's this? What's the score for you? 
Well, look, it's, it, I agree it was a really well-done convention. I don't think that there are too many things where he could have gotten more advantage. Perhaps some of the policy stuff could have been managed a little bit different, a little too soon to say. I guess we'll see what occurs in the next couple of weeks in terms of consequences for that. As I said, I don't think there'll, there'll be many, and I think that they made a conscious decision that if they were going to take the hit on policy, they were at least going to pick the ones where they thought... You know, they're going to either be with the majority or close enough or it's low enough intensity of opinions out there amongst the, you know, the plurality of Canadians that it's not going to hurt them too much. And as Stephen said, a lot of this stuff is costed in. It was, though, a political convention two years from an election in September as everybody's dealing with back to school. And so I, I'm not sure that like Canadians as a whole were gripped by it, but great convention. He He maximized it in the context of being a non-election year convention. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for our, for our next one. How much credit would you give to the Liberals on a, on a letter grade basis? They have a new head, uh, or they've, they, as in they've been able to, but while consulting the other parties, find someone else to lead the uh, allegations of foreign interference in Canada's affairs over the, over the next 16 months. The report is, is going to be due in February sometime. It is a Quebec Court of Appeal uh, judge, Justice uh, Hogue, who's going to lead it. She's going to start work next week. How much credit do you give the Liberals? What letter grade do you give them on their redo, on their resubmit, revise and resubmit that they were uh, asked to asked to provide to the Canadian public? Yeah, I mean, they get a very average curved grade on this. But unfortunately, when it's six months late, Let's just say you lose a letter grade for every month before you do the thing that you should have known that you were supposed to do six months ago. So they get an F. They get an F not because this was a particularly bad decision, but because it was particularly bad that the decision has happened so long after it should have happened. Carter, any any uh, credit the Liberals deserve on the revise and resubmit? Again, what grade this is, is a letter grade? This is a okay. letter grade, correct. Uh, they get a three. Um you know, they absolutely should. Three out of four letters isn't uh, They bad. should be way ahead on this. I mean, it feels like this is the last judge standing. It's like, okay, this is the only judge we haven't asked yet. Let's ask her if she's in. And oh, okay, she okay. Thank God we got someone. Um, it just doesn't feel there's doesn't feel like there's strength, right? It it feels weak, mm. and uh, I'm giving it a three. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I do want to say one of the things that was observed is she doesn't have national security expertise. And I believe that the line from the liberals was, well, but she brings fresh eyes, right? That's not super compelling. And I think that unfortunately for the liberals, if this all does go awry, people will be able to point to kind of that original sin of not having the expertise that was required. Not saying that's going to happen. I suspect she'll She'll do a fine job with this particular But that doesn't stop the politics. But if for whatever reason... The report sucks. Yeah. People are going to point to this and say people should have known. Or it's late. The process is bullshit. It feels like it's politically tainted. Thousands all those sort of things. things, right? Like it may not be the David Johnston yeah. sort of like personal attacks that this process faces going forward, but there's still a bunch of other things that it could face should Pierre Polyev or even Jagmeet Singh and, or, and others kind of want to make it a live wire issue. Uh, Corey, I'm going to stick with you on, on this one. I want to talk about the Manitoba election. We'll save that for next time. Let me instead talk about Elections Manitoba. They've actually put on an ad campaign on for young voters, a series of advertisers, say, uh, one of which says, some choices mean more than your fit check. Go out and vote. I'm just curious. Are you in or out on, on our nation's 
sort of electoral institutions with their with their vote mobilization campaigns, especially in, and now more so. They've largely been targeted at young people. Give me your take on this. Are you in or out when when these bodies try to make appeals? They almost are the you rock the vote in and of themselves in some ways. Are you in or out when when they try to do this? And Manitoba is just another example. Alberta had their own version of this. Like everyone's doing their, they're trying to go viral with with some with some fun hip, uh, put hip in air quotes campaign. In or out, Corey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, in on concept, out on execution. But the line between clever and cringe has never been blurrier than it is in 2023 and i i don't know i mean i hope that they tested these i hope that they did well in that sense but i suspect that they didn't i suspect that it was a well-intentioned but under-equipped electoral body determining that this would be what the youths want to hear and that kind of sucks like if you're gonna do it you got to do it right you got to hire the right ad firms and you you got to figure it out you got to know your audience Carter, are you in or out on on elections authorities uh, also getting into the the game of of youth voter mobilization? I'm out. I mean, if we want to if we want to incentivize some sort of uh, voter turnout model, then incentivize it. Come up with an incentive. Uh, this isn't an incentive. This is like an awareness campaign, which is going to generate an outcome of delivering some people to the polls, but not all people to the polls. So therefore, it's inadvertently going to help someone. Um, Elections Manitoba doesn't know who they're helping. Elections Alberta didn't know who they were helping. Calgary, City of Calgary doesn't know who they're helping. And I'm told, I'm not I'm not an expert in this, but I'm told that the outcome uh, isn't necessarily determined by the voter turnout. So why don't we just focus on getting people out that want to vote and fuck the rest of them? They can bitch and complain afterwards. I just want to read the last line of this article. So far, young potential voters have mixed reactions to the ad campaign, but the results won't be clear until it has its own fit check after election oh, day. That's <laughs> tragic. Who wrote that? Is it a known writer? I'm not going to. No, we got no, to shame. Not, name and shame, brother. Name and shame. We don't do that on this show, Carter. We don't do that on this show. Hey, Carter, I'm going to start with you on this. Because I did that Jack Layton Give me your, thing, and it makes me feel like I did a little name and you shame. You did do that Jack Layton thing. You did well. This is a you policy, not a us policy, Carter. Mm -hmm. Listen, I I asked you earlier if this was a kick in the pants that the Liberals needed this weekend. Uh, One would expect it's one of the several kick in the pants. Hopefully that they that they get uh, to to finally act. Um, Your advice for them. Give me your advice for them after this weekend. Give it to me succinct. Give it to me clear. Give it to me as bold, assertive. Uh, profane as you need it to be. You're you're talking to them directly. You're talking to the PMO directly right now. You're giving them one sentence of wisdom in terms of what to do, why to do it. What is it? Two sentences. Number one, campaign started. Number two, you got to do better this time because last time it just wasn't good enough. Just wasn't good enough and you're going to lose. So, uh, I think they need to understand that they're not good at this and they need to bring in, they need to make changes. They need to shake it up. They have to have a new approach for Quebec. They have to have a new pro- approach for the West. Because um, if they use the approach that they used last time, I, I, I'm i with Corey. This does not look good. Not look good at all. Corey, I gave Carter a chance for profanity and he didn't take it i'm giving you the same opportunity that crisp one sentence of advice if you're directly speaking to them right now you have one chance to get a message over to them after what you saw this weekend after the ad campaigns the polls everything what is it 
It is the advice that was given to us originally by Yogi Berra. Uh, Toby Keith then wrote a song that also gave it to yeah. the world. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere else. So and so figure that out. So good, Corey. From there, the other pieces. Will Man, that was place. good. Holy oh, shit. Beautiful. My nipples got Almost hard. Almost beautiful as the, the game of, <sighs> of AFL. And Dino's Rugby. Oh, what a what a beautiful closing. Now, we're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1098 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.